That's how you can end it. Is just Ben just saying, I fucking post. hate my life. <laughs> Uh, welcome everyone to this late night edition of Yas Tea, the y- Young Asian Americans for Biden podcast, where we talk about political issues and issues that relate to the Asian American and Pacific Islander community. My name is Benjamin O. Oh. Um, I am joined today by Angie Kui, who is the events chair for Young Asian Americans for Biden, Justine Kim, who is one of our um, events, social, and policy crossover chairs, Avery Kim, who is our uh, branding chair, and Varun Sijamratu, who is my uh, fellow co-chair. Welcome, everyone, to this late-night event. Um, So what did you all think about the the debate today? Well, Ben, uh, (laughs) thanks for the lovely intro. (laughs) Um, I thought it was... I thought it was something, something else. I don't know. Like uh, we were briefly talking before this about our, our like general reactions, um, but I think just one word would be like chaos, unhinged. I don't know if these words I think would perfectly describe that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm curious what like everyone else thought. Yeah, I mean, I thought the 2016 debates, Trump was very toxic with Hillary, and somehow he managed to take it to a whole nother level today, and that just kind of shocked me from the beginning. Like there were just so many times when he either just blatantly lied, refused to denounce white supremacy, or even went after like an insult to the memory of like Vice President Biden's deceased son that just shocked me beyond belief. As if I could even imagine he could shock me further. I w- I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit surprised to a certain extent because I think that anytime we hear about Trump in the media, the headlines are always like, Trump did this. Trump said this. Trump believes in this. And I think a lot of the reason why his following is so adamant that he is, you know, like their messiah, uh, like is because he is seen as someone who has such strong and like, you know, grounded ideas to them. Um, but in this debate, like I, I cannot name one point in which I can pinpoint Trump just so adamantly being like, this is like what I stand for. This is what I believe in. Like not, there was not a single point in in that debate where he like told even his followers, like, you know what? Like, this is what you believe. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Uh, I don't really know what I was listening to that entire time. I'm not going to lie. It, to me, it was almost the equivalent of white noise that you listen to when you're going to bed because I didn't really, and I was telling you guys this before, like, I don't really know what I, what I learned from that necessarily. I would have to agree with that. I think that there was very little in terms of policy actually discussed. I do have to say, I think a big part of that was the president um, not letting the former vice president finish a lot of his sentences. I do think that happened to have impacted kind of any platform really being discussed. But as we've seen on the campaign trail, one of the two candidates' um, rallies are filled with fear and the other one's filled with policy. And I think that's more of what we got tonight, especially in that segment about the mail-in voting, I think it's very clear that you know we have one candidate who speaks about speaks from the truth, and he wants to be a president. And we have another who wants to lead the country, but not in a unifying way, um, nor using facts to keep that position. Yeah, I think I fully agree with that. Uh, honestly, it was just an hour and a half of just insanity. The, the amount of times that I was just shocked by how Trump was interrupting people, trying to trying to fight with Chris Wallace, the moderator. Um, 
like the number of times that they had to like interrupt him to just get a point across was was insane and like to be honest I think Biden did a fairly good job of handling it I think um, you know his his anecdote about talking to an American people saying you know COVID in terms of COVID um, you know how many people have an empty seat at the table every night because someone died from coronavirus because of Trump's response Um, and talking really sticking to the points of Trump not having a plan not knowing what he's doing really emphasizing all of those major points um, really really uh, I think will speak to the American people and has has been the they've been the talking points that we have seen be effective across you know conservatives and liberals alike in terms of persuading people to vote against uh, the current president in this upcoming election um, yeah and I oh, go ahead oh I was gonna say like I think that on that note one thing that regardless of you know party affiliation what who, which candidate you're voting for that you can't refute is that one thing that I think Vice President Biden did a really great job of is regardless of if you think he won the debate or not. First of all, I don't think that there was a clear winner in this debate. And second, there were moments in which you can see him reflecting back on campaign promises that he's made that have been, you know, put into writing. So he at one point, you know, regardless of what other progressives or progressive Democrats think when he when he said that he didn't port the Green New Deal. He had a solution that he was able to refer back to, regardless of how perfect or imperfect it is. It's not necessarily, you know, the most um, aggressive climate change plan you can take, but he had a plan that he can refer back to. And I think the interesting thing about about Trump and even the fact that his campaign didn't include, you know, reference back to any plans that they had tangible plans that they had made was even in like situations of like when they were talking about race you know the trump campaign made it a big deal that they came out with this platinum platinum plan that was supposed to you know uplift the black community and you see at no point did he even bring that up if that was something that him and his campaign was truly proud of and truly believed that they could actually put into action they would have brought that up in the in the segment about you know race in america right now but i didn't hear anything about that or how that was going to come up yeah i would agree (laughs) um i just think it was just very devoid of policy um specifics um and it was just i don't know even the theatrics of it right like i mean this is also like a very like theatrical event but even the theatrics of it was just exhausting uh to see uh i have like some cbs poll like they did post debate which i think kind of perfectly sum up how I felt, I think everyone else felt. So they were like, how did debate? Uh, how did the debate make you feel? According to the battleground tracker thing that you love and CBS was running, 70% said they were annoyed. Uh, 31% said they were, uh, sorry, 69% said they're annoyed. 31% said they were uh, entertained. 19% said they're pessimistic. And 17%, I wanna know who these 17% are, said they were informed during the debate. Um, then the other one said the tone of the debate was 83% said negative. 17% said positive. And then on who won tonight's debate, 48% said Biden, and 41% of people said Trump, and then 10% said as a tie. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know who like half this country, like that's 41% of this country, that's all that, that was like, this, this is a solid outing from the president. Um, but I don't know, what are you guys thoughts on like that polling? Yeah, I mean, my takeaway was that 41% of the nation didn't watch the debate. Like from the start, President Trump as bad as he has been at certain points in the last three and a half years, 
Today was certainly one of the days where he seemed most unhinged, probably because he was directly challenged by Vice President Biden with facts. And often, I would imagine because he maybe thought that Chris Wallace wasn't supporting him, when in reality, Chris Wallace was trying to be relatively unbiased, or at least as unbiased as you can be when dealing with someone like Trump. Um, yeah, like I feel like it seemed like half of the things Trump said tonight were complaining about someone else being wrong, complaining about how good he is as a president, or saying that like, or saying some like arbitrary lie that he doesn't have the facts to back up with. Um, and it seemed like instead of actually bringing in facts and policy and justification for why he should be elected, he just essentially complained about how things were unfair in order to try and win points over Biden, which I hope, and in my personal opinion, I think weren't effective for him. I think it was also important to mention that so much of the, it felt like it was all a distraction to prevent the non-incumbent candidate from getting to any of his points. I think that, you know, interrupting someone's sentences constantly um, and inserting whether it was accurate or not, um, some kind of an opinion or a critique, that's not an effective way to have a conversation, especially when you know it's being national television and on publicly accessible websites. I think that I can only wonder how much of it was, you know, a personality trait as well as a strategy that might have been um, planned beforehand. And I, I think that, you know, the moderator did the best that he could. And it was definitely, um, I, I would say, stronger moderating than we saw in some of the presidential primary um, debates early on. But at the same time, you know, I, I think that it felt like two bickering um, like children in like a lunchroom for a little bit. And it wasn't because, you know, both candidates were being argumentative. It's because one candidate wouldn't let the other even finish a sentence. And I think that, you know, it was really more of a distraction um, than anything. But I do wonder if that was kind of the plan or if, if that's just who he is, especially at this point in his presidency where he knows a lot of his base is leaving, um, leaving his support. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think any of us are surprised necessarily by the way that Trump came out on this debate. We know from 2016 and from his entire four years that he thrives on disruption, he thrives on disinformation, um, and like lying to the American people across like literally every single platform that we discussed today. You know, we really, Chris Wallace really tried <laughs> to stay on point, but you know, talking about the records, the Supreme Court, COVID-19, the economy, race and violence in our cities, the integrity of the election, all of those things, Trump just consistently interrupted Biden and Chris Wallace. He tried to be disruptive in every manner he could. He spewed lies left and right about, you know, talking about the China virus and talking about how the economy, like, was something that he personally uplifted when you know, the Biden-Obama um, presidency was really the one that lifted the country out of the recession. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, just the lies about COVID-19, doubting science, um, you know, all of those lies that really could have been saved that, you know, the Trump presidency has made, has exacerbated by being irresponsible, um, not responding to the crisis itself and prioritizing, you know, their own money and their own interests over the American people. Um, it's something that we're not really surprised about. It's just a continuation of what we've seen in the past four years. Um, so I don't think any of us were necessarily surprised so much as just, I don't know, shocked by the decorum of what is supposed to be a pretty respectable forum of presidential debate and 
Trump just came in here and decided to try and make it his own, which he relatively failed at. <laughs> like he was just trying to get in random points, took the in, entire CNN Chiron. Like if you watched the, the debate, like in real time, the CNN crew literally gave up on trying to like formalize topics because we were so off topic and Trump dragged us into random territories of opinion that just did not matter. Um, and that's like his entire MO. And that's, I mean, that's just where we're at as a country and obviously why we need, it's like obvious we need to vote him out of office because he is just a distraction machine. And that's just where he resides and where he thrives. Yeah, and I think like going off of that, the bigger question now, especially, you know, with what, like 30 or so days left until the election is how, how can the campaign and how can, you know, individual Biden supporters or even just people who are anti-Trump, who are not necessarily 100% on board with Biden yet, how can, you know, these different levels of our society engage with those who are undecided voters? Because ultimately, I think like the, the biggest thing that we can take away from this debate is obviously like whether it's because of who Trump is as a person or his campaign strategy, like he is painting the enemy through a strawman argument. Like he is painting the enemy to be this, you know, amorphous, intangible thing that just stokes fear in the hearts of the American people. Um, and is painting this enemy that doesn't actually exist. And so how is a campaign, you know, who tries to, who, who tries to convey, you know, what they want for America, what they visualize, how are they supposed to compete against, you know, essentially what is a third candidate, which is this enemy that both undecided and Trump voters believe exists, like when it doesn't. And that's like something that I know, like I've been trying to figure out and problem solve um, on my own, even like over the last couple of years is like, you know, how, how can any candidate that's going up against Trump, like be able to clearly and coherently convey like, oh, this is like who we are as a, can as a candidate, what we want for America, when they're fighting against, essentially against two enemies, which is the other candidate and then the image that the other campaign has portrayed of them. I think they're kind of fighting on multiple fronts here, and I don't know what they're going to do for next steps. I, I also thought there was the move to not only like kind of stoke like, I guess the American people's like internal fears, but also just like fear in the system itself. Um, and just kind of like he really sowed the seeds for kind of if he is to lose, right? Like discrediting the whole election. I mean, he like kind of straight up said it. He was like, he would not commit to a peaceful transition of power. He also would not even commit to like, for example, he, he said, I, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but I believe it was along the lines of that, like, you know, if I win, it's all good. But like, if I don't win, oh, wait, we got the quote here. Uh, we might not know for months, right? And he's going to push us to the courts. Like, he's very brazen and open about like what his plan is. He's just like, if I lose or if it's not going my way, discredit as much as possible, send it to the courts. I'll have a six to three majority and um, and kind of like cement my reelection that way. Um, yeah, I think what's also really important is that the election he cited, um, which was at two points, at one point he directly said the Maloney um, election in New York 12, and at another point he just cited the number of 30 to 40 percent invalidation rate of ballots, mail-in ballots. I think what was really lacking and again, because this is a fear-mongering argument as opposed to a concerned president for his citizens' right to vote, is that this was due to mass disenfranchisement and miscommunication. This was by no means a case of fraud. 
And, you know, full transparency, I was on Siraj Patel's team and, you know, I was there for months after, not really, it was a few weeks, but, you know, I was there for a significant amount of time after June 23rd, which I was not expecting at all, but that's because we were still counting ballots. And it's not because there was fraud. There was no, as he called it, the waste paper bin basket ballots. There was nothing in creeks. It was the Board of Election not properly communicating with the post Postal Service nor the people because everyone had some kind of information that didn't add up. So ultimately, you had tens of thousands of ballots being tossed out for reasons beyond voter control. And so many of those ballots were invalidated before they were ever even opened. And to even see, like, is everything on the inside filled out? Because the Postal Service couldn't even postmark them when they were supposed to. Or some post, post offices didn't even get the notice to postmark them when they received them and just to give them to the BOE. So they had no way to document if they were postmarked. And I think it's just really upsetting, especially as someone who works so closely with that election, to see somebody, or president rather, not just anybody, really undermine America's democracy and, you know, saying everyone's getting two ballots and there's millions of ballots hiding in a creek somewhere. I, I think that, you know, he's just really trying to make America scared. Um, and it's just really unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, on that note, like one of the major issues in the entire debate was that we didn't really get a lot of policy out of this entire debate as uh, Justine and like pretty much everyone on this call has mentioned. Um, I think one of the main things that one of the main takeaways we had was that Trump is a not going to denounce white supremacy because he believes it's part of his major base and he refuses to, you know, denounce the Proud Boys, denounce anything that has to do with white supremacist rhetoric and narratives. Like, I mean, the Proud Boys are just a crazy white supremacist militant group that's just out there trying to stoke flames and create violence. And he's unwilling to just even denounce them on live television, which is insane. Um, I mean, that's, I mean, that's one of the takeaways that I had. The other was that he refuses to believe in the results of the election if he loses, which is also just you know, uh, an unprecedented move in a democracy that we have worked so hard to upkeep in the last, you know, 200 some odd years, um, including the many bumps that we had, which I don't, I don't want to like write off. But I mean, for a president to say, I'm not going to believe in the results of the election if I don't win is just, it's, it's alarming, but it's also just insane for someone to say that. Um, and I think that kind of segues into our next topic, which is, you know, what are the, the memorable moments of, moments of the debate for you all? Like what stuck out to you? What were the most critical components? Um, and like, what did you really think were the most impactful uh, pieces of the night for the vice president in particular? Yeah, well, I guess one, I mean, I think one thing people are definitely going to capitalize on is Biden's one-liner about, you know, like, just shut up, man. But I think one thing that really stood out to me was when Biden said that Trump was like one of the worst presidents, or maybe I'm getting this wrong, that he was the worst president America's ever had. And I believe Trump responded by saying he's done more in 47 months than Biden's done in 47 years. So I guess a couple of things there. Like first, I don't think Trump's been in office for 47 months. Um, he hasn't even been elected for 47 months. But more importantly, like that was just kind of a theme of the debate where Trump's entire platform wasn't about he, his entire platform that he brought to the playing field today wasn't about what policies are, 
policies are you, is he going to implement? What sort of new things is he going to change about America? And how is he going to fix our problems? I think Biden repeatedly said that Trump doesn't have a plan, whether that's about COVID, looking at racial equality, or many other issues in the current American nation. It just seemed like Trump didn't really refute that. He just went along with that narrative that, you know, if Biden says something, I'm going to make some arbitrary claim and lie that doesn't line up rather than actually back it up with policy and tangible actions that I'm going to commit to making for this nation. And I think that's concerning because I would imagine that after this, we won't see that much of a shift in the actual polls, which means that as much as Trump can make these false, empty lies and no real promises for change, it's saying that it's not really changing the opinions of people in this nation, which is much more concerning because I feel like in every, any other pr presidential year, if a candidate said something this empty, and didn't commit to anything, they would see a much sharper blowback in the in the week or two after the um, debate. Yeah, um, I think like my biggest takeaway was honestly just looking at. I mean, you can compare Trump and Biden on a variety of different levels, whether it's in terms of temperament or policy, or, yeah, or policy on how they stand, but. I think that regardless of who you are, right, like regardless of who you are, if you are in the United States of America and you have somewhat of, you feel some kind of stake in what happens in this country, regardless of your party affiliation. Um, the, the biggest difference that I took in terms of, you know, what this debate showed us was you have one candidate who, who buys in, you know, like most Americans, who buys into believing that the system exists for a very particular reason, right? However broken it may be. Uh, I think that voting, there are a couple of things that come to mind when it comes to like the foundations of American democracy. It's the census and it's voting. And you have, on the one hand, you have a president who has actively tried to dismantle both of those things. Um, the census, you know, from him being president and then the election from now him being a candidate. And I think that regardless of what you believe in, like if you even somewhat say that you have an opinion on anything that happens in the United States, oftentimes your opinion is based on, right? Like what we see as the construct of the American system. You have a candidate who actively on national television on multiple occasions has denied his like his sense of believing even in that system like at this point you know he's just saying like goodbye you know if it doesn't favor me it doesn't exist and i think that that's something that genuinely should you know, honestly incite fear in a lot of americans because whether or not you believe you know that trump is like the best thing to have happened to america like if you believe he's the best thing to have happened to america then that means that you have somewhat of a belief that in you know, the American system, like in the constitution, whatever it is, and you have a candidate who has just outright completely denied just the sheer existence um, of the system that has, you know, put him in the presidency as, as much as we all hate it. And that is something that to me is so concerning and honestly should concern every American. Um, the line for me that, that I, I think was like a zinger that stuck in my mind um, was uh, under this president, we become weaker, sicker, poorer, and more divided and more violent. Um, I think it just like perfectly encapsul encapsulates kind of just like the whole like degradation of like American society and our politics like under Trump like I don't know it, in when it comes to the economy like I think it also kind of showed that like in uh, in Biden's strategy tonight like he wanted to kind of hit Trump from all different angles but also especially kind of show that like we, we can do better than this like this is not the new normal like we don't have to you know sit through this like dividedness um, you know, the, the, the chaos 
And I, I don't know. I thought that was a very effective line. And I also think like a lot of the strategy of like of the campaign is kind of going towards like white suburbia. Uh, and so I'm pretty sure like this probably a line that worked well um, among that demographic. Well, I guess the question I have to pose to you guys now is, you know, like we had this debate that was essentially just a pissing match between two old white men. Uh, and we have two debates left. And I personally don't think that either campaign is going to want this same situation for the next two debates. Because on the one hand, you're going to have both, you know, like diehard Republicans, um, as well as liberals, moderates, progressives that are going to want to see something else uh, for the next two debates. So like, what do you what do you think we not only A, have to look forward to, but B, like in this time between, you know, this debate and the next one, can we, can we start pushing to be proactive? I think one thing that we can do on a grassroots level is pushing, you know, everything positive that we can. And I think something that, you know, I've been working on um, with our organization as well as on Columbia's campus with Columbia for Biden is trying to go, do away with this idea of settling for Biden. I think, especially with a debate like this, there's a lot of young voters who might have just tuned in and, you know, that, that's what they see. They see two um, guys who are from a different generation and they're arguing with each other on TV and another older guy is asking them to stop arguing. And I think that for a lot of people who might, <laughs> I know, like, it, it, it's ridiculous, really. It's quite ridiculous. And I think that for so many people who might not be as tuned in as we are and you know, reading the policy pages, and, you know, listening to varied news sources, they just see people arguing and they just see polarization. So I think that it's really our job to remind people and especially young people and, you know, people who are on the fence about voting at all that, you know, we need to do more than settle for Biden because if we push that narrative, even if it's what people believe in, like ideologically, if we're settling for Biden, you have a good chunk of people who are going to think, well, if everyone else is doing it, I don't actually have to go out and vote. There's a pandemic. I don't have to do it, especially with early voting and in-person voting, which, you know, if it's anything like what's happening already in states like Pennsylvania and North Carolina, those votes are really going to matter. And I think that, you know, if we're settling for a candidate, we're not going to wait online for hours. Um, and with climate change and the current weather outside, it's hot out. And it's like, you know, people aren't going to stand outside in the heat for hours if they aren't enthusiastic about the guy. And if they don't realize how much is at stake and neither of those things are what you got from tonight. And it's really unfortunate. So I think that it's really our job as young people and especially young Asian Americans for Biden, because, you know, Asian Americans are disproportionately not voting at all, um, is to make sure that we're enthusiastic. And it's OK to call out people who say like stuff like settling for Biden or kind of pushing that narrative because we have, what, 35, 34 days left. And, you know, we just saw two guys argue on TV because one candidate can't be cordial to the other. And that's just really not going to cut it. Um, especially, you know, November 4th, I don't want there to be a situation where we wait, you know, months or weeks for mail-in ballots to be disputed by the campaigns. And I also don't want a situation where there's a landslide because everyone settled and stayed home, because that's what settling is. We need to be enthusiastic for Biden. I'm kind of sick of this settling thing. Yeah, I think that's something that's really kicked up really since 2016, the idea that if your candidate isn't the one who's winning the primary that, you know, whoever you're picking is going to be the, like some suboptimal option. But if you think about it at the end of the day, the idea is that you're pick, you want to elect whoever you think best represents your ideals. And in this case, for a lot of people, whether you supported 
like Joe, um, Pete, Beto, like Liz Warren or Bernie in the primaries, Joe Biden is the person who ends up supporting your ideals the most. Donald Trump is exactly contrary to all those things where he doesn't support, doesn't believe in the idea of the coronavirus being a threat, doesn't have a plan for it. He thinks the economy is just some sort of magical wand that he waves and then saves everyone and then he takes credit for it. He believes that racial differences aren't a problem in the nation. And on top of that, he believes that some sort of like economic class inequality is not because of systemic problems in our society, but rather just because, like, I guess maybe, I'm not even sure where his rationale comes from there. I mean, I guess not everyone has, like, their parents just give them a million dollars to play with in the middle of, like, 1970s or something like that. And I think in that case, like, it's just so clear that not only does Trump not have plans to deal with any of these issues, but he also doesn't care about any of them. So as young voters, as Democratic voters, and especially as like Asian American voters, we have to be critical about what are the things that we think matter most for the next 10, 20, and 50 years. And we can't look at this and say it's just one election because one election sets the stage for the next three or five elections going forward. If Trump is reelected again, like that sets off a, four more years of no progress on climate change, of no progress on racial equality, and con continuing to defend America's horrendously outdated gun laws, among many other things. If Biden is elected, we can start that progress towards changing things for better and changing things towards the ideal that we might want to see, even if it takes time. But we have to realize that we can't just say that because we're not getting necessarily everything that you want, that you know, it's not a perfect candidate for you and you're not going to put your heart out to vote. Because at the end of the day, Joe Biden is the candidate who supports far more of your ideals and your beliefs than Donald Trump will be. And that's why you should be going out, donating to his campaign, donating to similar campaigns who are putting through those efforts to bring down Republican senators, going out to vote, volunteering and working your poll stations and taking whatever initiative you can to help make sure that he's elected in November. Yeah, I think you both touch on really important points, especially when it comes to young voters, because I mean, I like for full transparency, you know, I was an Elizabeth Warren supporter and then a Bernie supporter. And then when they both dropped out of the primaries, um, like there was no question about, you know, which candidate I was supporting. It was not going to be Trump. There was no way on God's green earth that I would have been like, oh yeah, like I'm a Bernie bro. And then go immediately like, yeah, make America great again. There's no chance. And so I think it's important to remember for people, you know, whether it, like they are like myself or they were, you know, full Joe or honestly, even like Pete and Beto who were definitely more moderate than some of the other candidates in the primaries. Like, I think it's important to look at the big picture. And like, for me, honestly, like there will be no, candidate I think this election or honestly even next election cycle for the president that will fully encompass um, I think everything that especially like young Gen Z is looking for and that's not to say that you know we shouldn't aspire to have higher ideals of our candidates we 100% should that's what drives progress especially in politics which is a super old white man's game uh, but I think it's important to remember and to also contextualize that Ultimately, like having Trump in office makes life harder for most Americans, first of all. And then second, that especially if you're someone who is considering voting third party in this presidential election, like, please, please remember that, you know, regardless of if you believe that Democrat, the Democratic Party or the Biden campaign is working for you, like, and is going to be advocating for you. I think it's really important to remember that at the bare minimum, the bare minimum, they 
are the best candidate for you to have a voice of accountability. Like you could not be 100% happy with what they're promising and what they end up doing in their, um, and hopefully in their administration. But what you have to look forward to is you have an administration that will put channels in place to keep them accountable and to have their ears open. Because let's be honest, like right now, the closest thing we have are these damn White House petitions. And I don't even think that the White House even looks at them. I don't even know if they know that that website exists. They probably think like, oh, this was something that was put in place by the Obama like administration. Like, screw this. Like, you know, if it, it's there, but it's not going to exist because we're not going to look at it. Like it's, it, I could go on forever, but I think it's important to remember that like we now have to ask for the bare minimum, which is so disappointing. But like at least be enthusiastic that we are, you know, moving forward from the garbage that was these past four years. I think on that, you know, we need to remember that you're not going to get drastic change in one election cycle, especially when it comes to the president who's elected every four years. I think that, you know, a lot of people, especially our generation, and I think social media definitely helps amplify those voices. The problem is that, you know, people have kind of had their political awakening within this like internet awakening. And I think it's this idea that, you know, people want their opinions to be heard, which is great. Like everyone should have a platform and should have their voices heard. But I think at the same time, combined with, you know, this information overload, there's so many things out there that people can look things up and come to their own conclusions. But I think that what's missing is that people kind of come to their own conclusions about kind of the idea they already had less than, oh, I'm going to read about, you know, how Joe Biden's marijuana policy hasn't changed since the primary, but it was started to trend on like socialist Twitter, I think like two weeks ago, because they felt that they pushed the guy left, which like, it's true that like, he is the most progressive nominee we've had in American history. But there were policies like that, that were there on day one, because that's who this candidate is. And I think that, you know, we just really need to remember that being open minded about what our options is the most important thing we can do and actually reading through the policy. I know that it can be kind of verbose at times, it might not be in the most youth-friendly language, but I really recommend if, you know, anyone has any questions about these candidates to read through their policy because it's literally on the website what they believe in. It's not on Twitter. It's not on, you know, someone's Facebook post that you saw in some group and you have no mutual friends with that person. It's literally on the website. And I think it's really important to go through that. And the other point is that, you know, for young people who are hoping to move us left or even to restore the Republican Party to what it was prior, I think we need to remember that down ballot candidates also exist. And that's a really great way to pass to channel your passions for any party that you're interested in, even third parties in some cases, I guess. Um, I'm not recommending that, but you know, if there's a candidate you're really into, I really recommend channeling your passions into those candidates because those local elections do matter. And that candidate might have more of an impact on your neighborhood and your community than our president directly. And I think that, you know, with these down ballot candidates, you know, give them a dollar, you know, follow them on Twitter, like their tweets. I think that it's really powerful that we have all of these options on the ballot. It's not just one or two people or four people if you count other two third parties on the ballot, you know. I, I think that we need to remember that, you know, change is going to happen in one day. And if you want to see that change happen, you're voting for Joe Biden because otherwise we're going to have to undo not only the last four years, but then you're also going to have to undo the next four years. And, you know, if we're alive by then, that's going to be eight years of damage when, you know, right now you can literally go to your local elementary school or library or church or whatever it is where you live, fill out a bubble 
or a few bubbles for all of your down ballots. And if everyone does that and tells like one friend to go do it, we can get change in five years from now. Uh, one thing I actually found very interesting, Avery, that you said was about like, you know, read the policy. Um, in specific to the AAPI uh, community, um, only one of the two campaigns actually has policy for uh, the AAPI cam uh, community, and it's the Biden campaign, and it's pretty comprehensive. Um, it shows just shows that, like, I mean, the Trump campaign does not care about APIs. They don't. They never will. I mean, it, it, yeah, it's just the fact that they can't even put the time to offer a positive vision for our community shows you how little they actually even care about us. Yeah, I mean, I want to emphasize that point. Um, I mean, I think one of the strongest things that Biden came out with this debate was speaking directly to the camera and saying, you know, Trump doesn't care about the typical average American. Um, he, you know, spoke directly to the camera whenever Trump started interrupting him. He spoke directly to the camera when we were facing and discussing crises that impact the everyday lives of American across this country um, in a way that Trump doesn't. And it's obvious that Trump obviously like does not care about the average American. He cares about himself, he cares about his family, he cares about his, you know, rich friends. And that's, you know, that's the economy that he's run, that's the the government that he's run. It's all always been to just enrich him and enrich his family and, and enrich his friends. And I mean, I think that was one of the most powerful moments for me was when he, when the vice president, um, you know, stared at the camera and said, you know, Trump, you know, doesn't care about the average of working Americans. Or when he talked about the chair anecdote and saying, you know, how many Americans, you know, sit at the dinner table tonight missing someone because of the failure of the Trump administration to handle the coronavirus in an appropriate and uh, responsible manner. And it was very obvious that, you know, Biden cares about the American people. You know, whether it's APIs, African-Americans, Latinx, LGBTQ+, like all Americans, he cares about. And Trump clearly does not in a way that's very, very obvious and was made extremely clear during this debate um, across, you know, multiple segments. I think, you know, moving forward, you know, I think one of the questions that I want to segue to, which Varun uh, prefaced was, how do you all think that this impacts the API community? Obviously, Yasi is all about API representation, API politics, young people, young APIs being involved in this process. Um, and I think that's like a really great question to close on is, you know, how do you think this debate imp will impact and has impacted young and you know, all Asian American and Pacific Islander communities across the country, because we've seen hate crimes, we've seen um, anti-Asian American and Pacific Islander rhetoric. Um, and I think that's an important question for us to close on, given, you know, our affinity group and the focuses that we've had as an organization. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up that question, because I think that is one that a lot of people have been trying to ponder about, you know, their own respective communities. And one of the biggest obstacles, I think, when it comes to want, trying to engage people to vote who, you know, don't think that it matters, or even trying to switch people's, change people's ideologies or which candidate they're voting for. At the root of all of it is, and I think this was a Washington Post like opinions article head, headline from a few years ago is, I can't convince you to care about someone else. Uh, and I think that a lot of times, especially we've seen the Biden campaign, you know, take this role of, we care about you and Trump doesn't. 
and I think at the root of all of it, like the people that truly are not like thinking about even voting right now or, you know, voting for Trump or some third party, like they don't give a crap about the person who's next to them anyways. And so when I think about what, you know, what concerns the API community that would, you know, could, would change could potentially change the the output of this election is like there are a couple issues first and foremost healthcare right like we're like if you're a wealthy person living in orange county california like you a lot of times like you don't have to really care about healthcare uh, but where it really comes into play i think is trump has already said on multiple occasions that he like him and his Republican goonies want to, you know, ultimately change and dismantle Obamacare, even the section about pre-existing conditions, which regardless of which party you, you know, truly believe in, uh, pre-existing conditions like cancer, heart condition, that does not discriminate. Rich, poor, what race you are, it does not discriminate. And I think that that's like, it may seem like a really small issue, I think, to a lot of Americans, but when in about four years, if you have some kind of condition that ultimately disqualifies you from certain forms of healthcare, regardless of which state you're in, you're going to look back and be like, oh shit, like I really regret my decision and with my vote now. And I think ultimately, like even if you don't give a damn about the person that lives next door, about someone who's in your community, like even for yourself selfishly as an Asian American, I think you really have to think about these issues in the long term, whether it has to do with healthcare, you know, with like Korean Americans, for example, being one of the groups that experiences the highest rates of lack of health insurance. And that's something that's not talked about enough. Um, or whether you're a small business owner, you know, in some city, some, yeah, some big city in the United States, like you have to think long-term, whether it is about, you know, your taxes, like Trump is not going to pass tax code that advantages your small business, healthcare, the environment, like you can't run your small business if California is on fire and Florida is underwater. Like truly, even from like the, the most capitalist standpoint, think about it in the long term, which candidate is going to benefit you. And I think that especially when we talk to older folks in the AA, API community, um, it's important to like bring in, you know, the, the long game, like these, a lot of times, like the voters that are going to make a difference within the AAPI community, not only are young voters who should look towards the future, but are also people who are our parents age, who are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, who hopefully still have anywhere from 30 to 40 years of living to look forward to. And it's important to honestly consider the potential consequences on your life for the next 10 years. Like we already see that with the dismantling of the census process. Like there are things that are such big picture issues um, that both candidates talk on. And I think it's really important when it, when it comes to API community of bringing in the long game. I mean, I think the short answer here is which candidate is going to leave the country a better place for your kids. And that, that would be our generation. Um, and I, I think that you know, for a lot of the AAPI community that is going out and voting, um, correct me if I'm wrong on my data here, but I'm, I'm just kind of going off of all of the things I've seen. It's, it's older AAPI voters who are going out and voting, even though, you know, I think it's like the majority of registered AAPI voters are still not actually casting their ballots. And that's a big problem. Um, and I think that, you know, we need to remember that, it, you know, we can't expand the electorate for whatever reason, the reason that those voters, you know, who are probably our parents' generation, you know, our family members' generation, the reason they should vote for Biden is because Donald Trump's America has no opportunity. Over the past four years, the American dream has died, and there's no any kind 
of upward mobility or social mobility in Donald Trump's America. And those are a lot of values that, you know, our community holds very deeply. And a lot of the reason how a lot of our family members, older generations got to this country. So why would you vote for somebody who would take that away and who has already taken away so much from, you know, the AAPI community and beyond? I think, you know, just even the fact alone that, you know, we for Korean Americans for Biden, we made a reel of the guy insulting our community and siding with leaders Kim Jong-un who directly harm our families and friends abroad. And I think that, you know, it's just one slap in the face after another. And at a certain point, you know, I really want anyone, you know, paying attention to this to think about how is this going to impact kids? How is this going to impact the young people who are going to be in our position? Will they have the opportunities we had when we came to America? Will they have the opportunities we have now? And the answer is no. Because with automation, with the environment, so climate change, with dwindling opportunities and a terrible economy and a president who will probably let us die because he can't admit he made a mistake about when to close our country. We're not going to have the fighting chance we deserve. And I think for that reason alone, if you are a registered AAPI voter who always goes out and votes, chances are you are older. So think about our generation and think about the kids who are just a few months away from being 18 and cannot vote. Your vote matters a lot and your vote matters for them and us. And we would not be having this conversation if we didn't think we had to. Yeah, I think on building off that note, like, first of all, Trump is someone who displays among above other all else, like so many elements of narcissistic personality disorder where he doesn't care about whether or not he's right. He doesn't care about whether or not he's making the best decision for himself or even the nation as a whole. He cares about what his image is about above what he's actually doing positively for us. And I think for a lot of people, not just in the AAPI community, that should be concerning. Like your president is not someone who is elected to make sure their own image is improving. Like that's what you elect supermodels and athletes for. You elect a president because he wants to improve the overall well-being of the entire nation. As someone who was in the naturalization process and wasn't able to vote when I was 18 in the Clinton-Trump president's election, that was probably one of the most shocking events that I'd ever seen. Because I grew up with the two Obama elections, realizing that there was a lot of opportunity for hope. A lot of the things that Obama passed and that uh, Vice President Joe Biden pushed for like I grew up seeing the impacts of and understanding what they meant to, like in my case, the upstate New York community and realizing in 2016 that not only was the American public shifting the other way, but also that I didn't even have that ability to do that was incredibly shocking to just feel, I guess, just powerless in terms of like the way that you had one belief that you believe the entire nation should be moving towards in terms of improving for the future. And multiple millions of people felt the other way. And on top of that, there were just multiple millions who didn't even vote. And I think on top of that, one other really concerning thing for the AAPI community is that Trump doesn't care about us. He's willing to say things like the China virus. He doesn't care about the fact that we are individuals who are also Americans in our own right, who have naturalized or been born in America with American citizenship. He doesn't care. He believes the fact that because we are from several generations before... In, from a different nation that we are somehow less American than him, that we, he can label a virus that, whose spread is due to him as our fault and therefore you know, create a lot of anti-Asian sentiment against us. 
as not his problem. I think that's incredibly concerning for us. Like it's not something that we really should be standing by and saying, Trump is going to be fine, or maybe we don't entirely support Biden. Like if you believe that Trump isn't the one who supports you and won't advocate for your rights, then it's pretty clear that you should be voting for Joe Biden to vote Trump out and all this hateful rhetoric that slams Asian Americans for problems that Donald Trump himself is causing by his ineptitude and therefore start hopefully paving a path to greater equality, not just for the AAPI community, but for multiple minority communities across the nation. I think that is a great point to leave off on this conversation. Um, I will say that I think for the API community in particular, you know, Trump continuing to refer to coronavirus as a China virus, blaming China, trying to bring in xenophobic rhetoric to really deflect from his own failures is something that um, we need to continue to focus on. Um, it's obvious from, you know, Representative Grace Meng's bill in Congress to all the anti-API hate crimes that we've seen across the country that Trump uh, purposely has been exacerbating the conflict between, you know, white supremacists and people of color, whether that's African Americans and, um, you know, police killings or um, the API community and anti-API hate crimes. There are a lot of issues that you know, impact our community um, that need to be addressed. And, you know, this, this debate kind of just emphasizes the fact that Trump, as all of us have said, does not care about the APAC community. He obviously sees us as a token. He treats um, our community as, as a, a talking point, as a method of just winning more white racist votes in this country. And I would encourage anyone who's listening to, to to think about that. Um, you have to think about, you know, this election is literally a decision between our values, our rights, and the loss of those. Um, it's a decision between, you know, upholding democracy, upholding our values, and, you know, the white supremacist rhetoric, the dangerous anti-Asian American and Pacific Islander um, hate crimes that have been uh, in encouraged, if not merely uh, condoned by the Trump administration. Um, we really have two choices here, and it's up to us to make a difference. Um, we know that across Michigan, uh, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Georgia, Texas, like many, many states across this country, APIs are going to be the difference between winning and losing this election. Um, and I would encourage people, you know, go to uh, bit.ly slash Yasi vote, um, go to I will vote. Um, there are so many different resources out there to help you and your families and your communities register and vote. You know, this election really comes down to us and taking matters into our own hands. The, you know, I mean, I think all of us have emphasized on this call, on this podcast, that it's critical that we take action um, this fall to make sure that, you know, in the next four years, the next eight years, the next 16, 20, 50 years, that the future is really what we want to see. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really critical for us to be a part of that movement. Um, so I will, I will leave it open to any last points that anyone wants to make on, on the podcast before we close. I'm not even sure if it's like fully chronological at this point. And we'll figure that out later. The power of audio editing. Yes, you should really learn to read the chat. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think really the main takeaway I had here tonight um, 
kind of coupled with, you know, the RNC, because I guess that was the only time I was really watching um, that, that party's um, like visuals, I guess, because I'm, I'm not really consuming that regularly. Maybe I should. Um, is that tonight during the New York for Biden free debate watch party, there were two different ads or like video montages played and both of which featured uh, former presidential candidate Andrew Yang. And I think what's really powerful about that is, you know, the representation that's there, you know, whether or not people agreed with his policies, he really brought together the API community. And I think there was a recent article in NBC Asian America about this, about how because of him, you know, a lot of Asian Americans were kind of like the light was ignited in a way that it wouldn't normally have been there. And we've seen this in the data of who's voting. So I think that, you know, it really shows that this campaign is reaching out to our community and more, and not even just in like a way that, you know, we saw in the RNC role, they're, they're going to insert somebody who looks like us and call it a day. They're really incorporating the voices of Asian Americans. You see this in the staff, you see this in the support, and you see this in the surrogates. And I think the fact that, you know, Andrew Yang, who two years ago was called a random man by the Washington Post, is now, um, he's now speaking on behalf of this campaign and, you know, being a voice on, in national politics. I think that's really huge. And I think that that really shows that our campaign values our community's voices, not just to get our vote, but for actually inputting into decisions, into strategy, and also for rallying, um, rallying the people. Great. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us for tonight's post-debate Young Asian Americans for Biden Yas Key podcast. Um, I'm Benjamin O oh, here with Andrew Kui, Justine Kim, Avery Kim, and Varun Sijamratu. Um, coming to you next time. So tune in for our next episodes. We'll have one with uh, Ronnie Chatterjee from North Carolina, and we'll have one prepped for next debate night, October 7th, between uh, Vice President Pence and Vice future Vice President Kamala Harris. Um, Till then, we will see you later. Good night, everyone.